Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we can be here today. We thank you so much that we can open your word and that we can hear your truth being spoken to us. We pray that this day, that your truth would be spoken into our hearts, that it wouldn't be uh, words of men, but it would be words of God for us today. We pray, may we feast on your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're currently in a series going through Acts, and this one we're looking at um, Acts chapter 6 to 8. Um, and so that's like two chapters, um, and I'm not going to read all that chapter to you because that, that'll take up most of the time. But this is a story of the first martyr of the Christian church. This is a story of Stephen. And I'm going to read a little bit of, um, of the context for this, and, and then I'm going to go in and we're just going to look at this amazing man of God and how we can take what he showed in his life and apply it to ourselves. So to frame this up, Stephen was uh, first mentioned in the Bible when there was a bit of a dispute or argument in the church. There was a bit of a crisis where the Greek-speaking Jews were not being looked after, the widows weren't being looked after, as well as the Hebrew-speaking widows. And so there arose a bit of a dispute saying, you know, there's a, there's a difference between how people are being treated here in the church. And so the, the apostles thought, well, it would be good if someone in the church could stand up and take this on. And the, 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 the disciples, the apostles, they said, it's not for us to be doing that because we're being called to read the word, to pray, and to preach the gospel. And so there arose among them seven who were chosen to fulfill this role of looking after the widows in the church. And Stephen was one of those seven. In fact, he's mentioned first, and when he's mentioned, it says this about Stephen. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So the very first thing that's mentioned of Stephen is someone who's full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on that as he uh, was going about his daily life and he was in the, the temple and he was praying and he was speaking with uh, other Jews who were there, there arose a, a disagreement, an argument where they were trying to prove Stephen wrong, that Jesus was not the Messiah, that Jesus was not the one that was sent from God for our sins. But it says that they were unable to resist his wisdom. And so they decided instead to try and undermine him and take him down a different way. And so this is a background for the story of how Stephen then gets pulled before the Jewish council of the religious leaders. The scholars often think that um, Stephen was a Greek-speaking Jew himself. It's interesting that the seven chosen to administer 
to the widows in the early church all have Greek names. And so the, the theologians believe that all the chosen ones to administer that were themselves Greek-speaking Jews to show that actually it is not just one-sided, but they were willing to go the extra step to, to elevate those who were in the church to look after both the Jewish, uh, the Hebrew-speaking and the Greek-speaking. Stephen was a man who was noticed to be faithful in the small. He, later on when he's debating and he's speaking and he goes on to have a, um, a, a speech that is the longest speech in Acts and he's speaking to the religious leaders of the time and these, these are not just a handful of them, there's 70 religious leaders all learned in the scriptures and in the law, as well as the high priest. So 71 people he stood before, and he gives the longest recorded speech in Acts to these people. So he wasn't a man of little gifts. He had great gifts in being able to speak, but also to be able to speak publicly and be able to um, articulate thought and to be able to argue the case of Christ well. And yet, he was willing just to serve tables. He was willing just to serve the widows in the early church. And that phrase I said, full of grace, is one that is attributed to Stephen. And it is an amazing phrase to be attributed, full of grace. And as we know, grace is that loving kindness, that favor of God towards us. Often the New Testament writers would use it mainly in the kindness by which God bestows favour even upon the undeserving. This grace that grants to sinners the pardon of their offence and bids them to accept eternal life through Christ. But it's not just full of grace, as in full of knowing the favor and the, the riches of God towards him. There is something more about the grace of God upon Stephen that actually it has evidence of that, in that Stephen was not just one who was speaking about the grace of God, but it actually says that he went about doing great wonders and miracles. So the fullness of grace was not just that he knew that God loved him and he used the riches of God for him, but the grace of God was active upon him in him being able to move in the power of the Spirit. It's almost as if this fullness of grace was also proof of the grace of God upon him by what he did. As I said, Stephen was a, a great uh, apologist. He was able to defend the Christian faith. He pleaded the, the case of Christianity to anyone who would hear, it seemed. And whether it was those who were hostile towards him or not, he was willing to be able to speak from Scripture about Jesus. And it's interesting, the, the group of people it says he spoke to at that time, it says that they were uh, the synagogue of freedmen and of Cyrenes and Alexandrians and of Cilicia and Asia. 
And these synagogues, Cilicia is also where Tarsus is, which is where the Apostle Paul comes from. And what's interesting here is that Stephen and Paul are at this moment where Stephen is acknowledged as one full of grace, and the Apostle Paul, yet to be Apostle Paul, is known as one who is an aggressor to the early church. And this is where the story comes of Paul the apostle comes in. And some scholars believe that Paul was probably one of those ones that Stephen was speaking to at that time. And it was highly likely that he was part of one of those synagogues. And it was almost certain that he was probably in the council uh, of, the, of the elders when, he, uh, when Stephen spoke. So here it is in the early church. We see Stephen being spoken of, one full of grace, and yet we have one who is just being coming in, who we know later on becomes one of the greatest blessings to the early church in the Apostle Paul. And I don't think it's coincidence that a man such as Stephen was the one to first impact the Apostle Paul. We also know, according to Acts and this story, that Paul was actually at the stoning of Stephen. And the way that stonings would happen in that time, it was not just a, an angry mob who would all pick up stones and cast a stone at them. It was only those who were witnesses in the trial against were the ones that could start the stoning. Which makes it even more, I find, amazing that story. You know the story of when the woman was caught in adultery and she was brought to Jesus and Jesus says, you without sin cast the first stone. In that moment, Jesus was talking to those who were witnesses against this lady. And scholars believe that those who were witnesses against this lady were most likely those who were caught in adultery with this lady as well. And here is more poignant is that only a witness was the one to cast the first stone. And so we see here Stephen's story is also interlinked with the Apostle Paul. But what I want to focus on today the most is this. The similarities between the death of Jesus and the death of Stephen. And we see that there is a great similarities, but there is also a great difference between the two. Both of them start in front of the council both of them in front of the council of elders. Both had false witnesses against them. And it's interesting that even the accusations against them were both very similar. Stephen was accused of blasphemy against Moses and the law and for disrespecting the temple, the presence where God dwelt. Jesus himself was also accused of disrespect to Lord, uh, the law, of blaspheming and breaking commandments, but also of disrespecting the temple. But it's also interesting the why they were condemned. They were condemned for the same reason. Stephen gives this amazing, long history of the Jewish theology. 
And he starts from the from Moses, from Abraham, sorry, to Moses and on through the prophets and the law. And at the start of it, they accuse him of being disrespectful to the law. They accuse him of being a blasphemy. And it's and it's interesting the the wording they use against him when they ask him this. They say, you've been accused of blasphemy. Are these things so? Is this so? And it's an interesting question they put to him. I, I saw a, a, um, a commentator said they, they phrased the wording in such a way that if he answered it straight, he would be accused. He would be condemned. And this commentator, he said it's kind of like this. If someone asks you the question, are you still beating your dog? If you answer no, it kind of implies that you have been beating your dog, but you're not anymore. And if you answer yes, then you condemn yourself. So either way, you condemn yourself. And the question put to Stephen was the same. If he answers yes or no, it is to condemn himself. So Stephen changes this around. And instead of being a defendant, he then becomes the prosecutor. He changes the actual narrative of him being the blasphemer, him being the murderer, or him being in the wrong, and changes it back to the religious leaders. And he has this great long speech where he shows that time and time again the religious leaders and the people of God rejected the law and did not keep it and blasphemed the God that, he, that they themselves said that they followed. And in the end, he says this, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your father did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not prosecute, persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now here he is accusing them of murder. Here he is accusing them of blaspheming. Here he is accusing them of not keeping the law, the very thing which, which they accused him. But it's not why they killed him. It did make them mad. It says that they were enraged and they were furious at him. But they did not kill him for that. Both Jesus and Stephen were condemned for this one reason. They both pronounced that Jesus was equal to God. Stephen says this, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That was a moment that they condemned him. That was a moment they decided to end his life. And this echoes very, very closely the very thing that Jesus himself said. When they were accusing Jesus, they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. 
But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Are you the Son of God then? You say that I am. For this Jesus was killed, that he declared both the same as what Stephen declared, that the deity of Jesus being declared in front of the religious leaders is what got them killed. So here is a similarity between the death of Jesus and the death of Stephen. That believing that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, but more than just that, that he was equal to God. And it wasn't the Son of God part, it's the Son of Man part that infuriated them. The Son of Man is back to when Daniel has his vision of one that looks like the Son of Man, who comes on the clouds of heaven. Now only God comes on the clouds of heaven. And so whenever any of the New Testament uh, disciples mention on the clouds or coming on clouds, they are referencing this quote from Daniel and attributing it to God himself. And this title, not the Son of God, the Son of Man, is the one that most related to the divinity of Christ. And this was the reason that Stephen was killed. Other similarities between the two is this, that Jesus died on a cross at Calvary. And many scholars believe that Stephen was most likely stoned on Calvary. It says that he was taken outside of the city and to the place of execution, which is where Jesus went. And so the scholars often will say that Stephen was also killed on Calvary. Jesus died on a cross at Calvary. Stephen was stoned at Calvary. Jesus speaks on the cross at Calvary. And when he speaks, he speaks to God. Here we have Stephen at the end when he, when he says this. As they were stoning him, he called out, Lord Jesus. On the cross, as Jesus was dying, he calls out to the Father. Stephen, as he is dying, calls out to the Lord Jesus. Once again, showing his belief and his understanding that Jesus is God. The early church, within almost moments of the resurrection of Jesus, were preaching and believing the doctrine of Jesus' divinity. They say within the first six years, it is so well drenched in the early church that it is hard to know when it actually started exactly, but that by the first six years after Jesus' death, it is without a doubt the main doctrine of the church. And when it's said in the, in the New Testament, it says, believe and be baptized. What they meant by believe is believe in Jesus as God, Believe that he rose from the dead. Uh, believe that he died and that he rose from the dead. These three things were the core of when they said believe and be saved. Believe and repent. 
Jesus is God. He died and he rose again. And this we see in the very death of Stephen. This truth comes out over and over again. That Jesus is God. That Jesus died. And that Jesus rose again. Another similarity we have is that between the words spoken to God in their deaths. Jesus commits his spirit into the hands of God. In this moment, Jesus has the opportunity to either lay down his life or take it up. That moment, Jesus is not compelled. He doesn't have to die, but he chooses to die. The words he speaks on the cross is, I commit, I choose to surrender my spirit into your hands. And it goes back to where John 10, 16 says this of Jesus. didn't highlight this one. Let me paraphrase. Jesus says, I, have, um, I am able both to lay down my life or take it up. You see, Jesus, in committing his spirit to God, he was acknowledging both he had the authority but also the willingness to submit to the will of God. And this is where it differs from Stephen's. You see, Jesus is active in laying down his life. Jesus is choosing to let sin have its effect upon him so that he may take the sting of death away. Stephen, on the other side, says it slightly differently. Stephen says it like this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Or another translation, take my spirit. At this time of death, Stephen is not able to decide whether his life is given over or taken up, but he is entrusting it to Jesus, which also shows, once again, the divinity of Christ. In the midst of this pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the hatred and the malice that's going on around Stephen... This hell on earth for him. He looks to Jesus and he says, Take me. Longing to be away from the suffering, longing to be away from what is going on right there and then, but surrendered to Christ, waiting upon God to have his will for his life. Another similarity we have is Jesus' prayer at the end as he dies and Stephen's. Jesus prays this. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what 
they do. And here is the Lord of all the earth, the one who has in, in him and through him all things have been created and he knows the very heart of man and in that moment he prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And here we have the parallel with Stephen as well. And Stephen says this prayer, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In this moment, in that phrasing, when he's speaking to Jesus, Stephen is both declaring that Jesus is the judge and that he has the right to come and judge these people for what they're doing. And as he sees the heaven opened up, and as he sees the king of glory there standing next to the father, and he knows that the judge has every right to come and judge this people right there and right now for the sin that they are committing. And yet in that moment, he is not concerned about his own destiny or his own sins. But in that moment, like Christ on the cross, he prays and he prays for these people in front of him. Hold this sin not against them. Stephen is declaring Jesus as both Lord of life and death. He's not praying for his own sins. He's praying for the sins of others. How can this be? How can it be that he can be in that moment just before death and his thoughts are not of his own destiny, his thoughts are not of his own judgment, but that of others? Well, it can only be because he knows completely that he is pardoned and this is the good news of the gospel that we are not judged after death but we are made clean and declared righteous now because of christ and so in that moment of our deepest and darkest and most horrific part of life in that moment just before death we do not have to care about what comes next because we know that the king has pardoned us and we can look on others as Christ did and have compassion for them. The similarities between Stephen's death and Jesus' death is amazing. What can we learn from this? Live life full of faith. Live life full of faith. Stephen's life ended the same way he lived it, full of faith. At the very start, when we're introduced to Stephen, he's introduced to one who is full of grace and full of the Holy Spirit, a man of faith. And at the very end, as he sees his life ending, as he is beaten down to the point of being on his knees, he still lives as a man full of faith, fully assured that he is saved, but also fully assured that Christ can save even those who were killing him at that point. And in that crowd, as he prayed that prayer, was the Apostle Paul himself. 
And we have that amazing uh, uh, phrase or the amazing scripture that the Apostle Paul says later on when he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And here we see the Stephen living that very truth out. To live his life, for him to serve, even in the smallest things, was life itself. And for him to die was nothing more than to gain access to the presence of God forever. Stephen believed that Jesus was all he needed. He was sufficient for him in life, and he was sufficient for him in death. There's a theologian who says this. The fires in the olden days never made martyrs. They revealed them. No hurricane of persecution ever creates martyrs. It reveals them. Stephen was a martyr before they stoned him. He was a first, he was a first martyr to seal his testimony with his blood. We can live like martyrs now by living fully for Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And if we are required to lay down our lives for the gospel, it'll seem no different to us as if we just carried on living for Christ. Live full of faith. The second is this. Jesus stands with us. When Stephen looked up and he saw the heavens opened, he says, I saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now we know earlier on that it actually says that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And to be sitting at the right hand of power is to you yourself be given all power and authority. So here we have something different, that Jesus is no longer sitting. He's got up out of his chair. And when the king stands, it is because it's time for action. When the king gets up, everything else tones down. Jesus is not inactive and he does not react impassionately in our time of need. But he stands with the power of heaven enacting on our behalf. Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, him I, so, I also will confess before my Father in heaven. Jesus is standing there in heaven on behalf of Stephen speaking to the Father, this one is mine, you have given to me, him to me and I have not lost him. He is a good and faithful servant. Have you seen Stephen, Father? Jesus is there standing next to God. He is active on our behalf. Now, commentator Bruce says this, Stephen has, been, uh, Stephen has been confessing Christ before men. Now he sees Christ 
confessing his servant before God. Jesus stands with us in time of need. God answers prayers. It's hard to imagine in this moment as Stephen is praying that God's going to answer the prayer. In fact, it's even stranger the prayers that Stephen prays, not that you would save me, but that you would not count sin against those who are doing it. And as we see this moment of Stephen praying for those who are there, we know that in the crowd is one called Saul, who would later be known as the Apostle Paul. We don't know how greatly God could use our suffering for his glory. But in that moment when Stephen was suffering the most and he cries out for the others who are there, praying that their sin not be held against them, there is one there who later becomes one of the significant early church fathers in the Apostle Paul. Augustine said this, if Stephen had not prayed, the church would not have had Paul. Jesus answered the prayer of Stephen to hold not this sin against those there, to judge them not now, but to give them opportunity that down the track they may be able to turn to him. And here we have Paul standing there and later on, He turns to God. It is costly to follow and to change to be like Christ. But as one commentator says, the rewards are out of this world. The evidence of Jesus in in us is that we rejoice to be counted as his and delight to be deemed worthy to be like him in life and death. So how do we be like Stephen? And let me finish with this. Seek Jesus' presence. Be in the presence of God. Live in the presence of Jesus. The highest form of help we have is the presence of Jesus. In that moment when Stephen was being stoned to death, his hope His peace, his comfort, was in seeing Jesus standing next to the Father. We don't pray to be removed from our situations and circumstances. But we pray that we may see the presence of God through our circumstances and situations. The martyrs through history have been sustained by this one fact that knowing Jesus is the greatest comfort a soul can ever have. How can we be like Stephen? Seek Jesus' presence. Two, serve from where you are. Stephen served out of character. His character was noted first and foremost before anything else. And we can go on and see that he had great talent, he had great ability, But the very first thing that was noticed 
was his character. We are all called to serve, and what it looks like might, might not be what we imagined it to be. Our giftings and our talents do not determine where we serve, as we can see that Stephen was far more than just a preach, uh, just more than a, a server of tables. He was a man who could preach and could teach, and yet he served tables. Our gifting and our talent does not promote us. Here we see a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and yet it is not through promotion of that, but actually through the being faithful with the little that he is now known as a first martyr, that God promoted him through his death. Serve from where you are. Be faithful with what God has given you. Jesus says, if you are, trusted, if you are, if you are faithful and trustworthy with a little, he will give you much. Stephen was entrusted to be the first to imitate Jesus Christ, not just in life, but also in death. We're going to come to a time of communion. And as we do, I want us to be mindful of these two things that we can learn from Stephen. Seek Jesus' presence. Serve from where you are. As we have the communion together, it is these two things that unite us. The presence of God, the relationship with God, but also the serving one another, the relationship we have with one another. And it is in this unity of both being in the presence of God, but also being in the presence of God's people that we long to serve from.